Hello and welcome back to Basic Bible 101. Today we're going to finish what we left off uh, last week about Samuel. He was the last judge of Israel, if you recall, and he was the little guy that his mom had taken him to the um, live in the temple when he was very young. She had prayed for a son and God finally gave her a son and she had promised to commit him to the Lord. And so Samuel, even when he was young, sought the Lord. The Lord spoke to him and he said, uh, speak for thy servant hears. And so God used him in a mighty way. Now, remember, he had been raised by the priest Eli, who had not done very well with his sons. And we find that the same happens with Samuel. Uh, starting in First uh, Samuel chapter 8, we see that Samuel has two sons, Joel and Abijah. And both of them end up not being very good priests because they accept bribes, they uh, take advantage of their position. And so the elders of Israel come together and they say to Samuel, listen, you've been a great judge, but we really want a king. And all the other nations have a king and we want a king. So that should have been their first clue is anytime you want something that everybody else has, uh, if that's your reasoning, it's really not a very good one. But they go on to say, you know, a king would unite us, and we have all these different little tribes, and we need all of us together. And Samuel warns them. He said, do you realize what will happen if you have a king? He's going to bring taxes upon you. He is going to uh, enlist your sons to work for him and to serve him and serve in the army. Uh, the you know, your lives are going to change. You're going to have to give him a good portion of all of your produce and everything that you um, gain. And so he just wasn't very positive about it. Some of the things he said is, um, he'll take a tenth of all your grain. Uh, he'll take your servants, cattle, donkeys, and flocks for himself. And he'll even make some of you slaves. So you begin to see that maybe it wasn't such a good idea to ask for a king. Still, the people were determined that they really did want a king. So Saul began, or I'm sorry, <laughs> getting ahead of myself here. Samuel began to pray and ask God, what should I do? And God said, give them a king. It's not you that they are rejecting. They're rejecting me. Because up until this point, God was considered their king. They were a theocracy. And so now they want a king, they want a monarchy who will judge them and uh, direct them. So Samuel agrees and said, okay, that's what I'll do. So the next thing we see is that there's a young man who is, this is in chapter 9, who is looking for his father's donkeys. And he's doing his father's bidding and he and a, uh, one of his uh, servants are out roaming the hills looking for these two lost donkeys. And eventually, after several days, and they can't find these donkeys, they come into the town that Samuel uh, lives in. And they, of course, they hear that there's a seer or someone who can uh, see, you know, things that aren't, are hidden. So they decide to go see this holy man and see if he can tell them where their donkeys are. But Saul, who's the young man, realizes pretty quickly that they have nothing to give him. So obviously it was kind of assumed, probably because of Samuel's two um, not very good sons who were perverting justice, 
um, they think, well, we have to have something to give this holy man. It's kind of a bribe, or and maybe they were just thinking of it as a token of their appreciation. But they had nothing. And, and finally, the servant says to Saul, listen, I've got about a quarter of a shekel of silver. We'll give him that. And so they say, okay. Saul says, let's go. So they head into town, and as they're heading into town, they meet some women who are coming out, and they say, hey, do you know where this holy man is? And and they say, uh, the women say, yes, he's just ahead of you. Hurry along. You know, he's going to prepare this sacrifice. And so they get to the town. They finally meet up with Samuel, and Samuel invites them to this big dinner that he's giving, a big celebration dinner. And he says uh, to his to Samuel's servant, he says, uh, provide the best, set the best piece of meat aside, and make sure that this young man sits right next to me. And then Samuel turns to Saul, and he says, um, Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are going to eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go, and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found, and to whom is all the desire of Israel turned? if not to you and all your father's family. Well, this totally takes Saul by surprise. And he says, but wait a minute, I'm a Benjaminite. That's the smallest tribe in Israel. Um, Why do you say such a thing to me? And so Samuel brings him with him and says, um, go ahead on up and, you know, I will explain it basically when we get up there to this point. big feast. And so after the feast, they have this time where they celebrate. And then Samuel takes out a flask of oil and pours it on Saul's head, kisses him and says, has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? This is the very first verse in chapter 10. What a surprise, I'm sure. Um, So Samuel proceeds to tell Saul, when you leave today, here's what's going to happen. And there are various things that happen along the road. And sure enough, they all happen exactly as Samuel has said. Now remember, to this point, there hasn't been an election. There aren't any contenders for the position of king. There is just this prophecy from Samuel that says, you're going to be the king. So Saul goes home, and on the way, he starts prophesying himself. Um, just praising the Lord and he feels the Spirit of God on him and he kind of meets up with some other uh, uh, priests and they just start sharing um, this uh, goodness of the God together and in the process he, he really begins to be a different person on the inside. God has gotten a hold of him and is preparing him for a great work. Okay, so then Samuel calls all the tribes together and he says, okay, we're going to elect your king. Here's what we're going to do. Um, We're going to let God choose who will be the new king. And when the tribe of Benjamin gets there, he goes through the tribe and he finally gets down to, uh, it's called Matri's clan, um, which is where Saul was supposed to be. But Saul is not among the clan members. And so people are kind of saying, well, where is he? Um, But the Lord speaks to Samuel and he says, he's over there hiding among the luggage. And so we don't understand really why Saul is hiding. I'm not sure if he didn't want to take the kingship or if he just couldn't believe it. But sure enough, uh, Samuel calls him out and he says, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. Now Saul was a big guy. He was head and shoulders above all the other people. 
He was uh, somebody that they all could get behind and be very proud of, and they just really trusted him. And so that day, Saul became king. And we see immediately in chapter 11 where Saul is very successful in battle. He leads the people against the city or um, against the Ammonites and saves the city of Jabesh. And so the people have already been favorably impressed of him. And even the ones that weren't quite sure after this were convinced, oh, yes, he is the one. And so... uh, You see the Spirit of God upon Saul. He is uh, a great example of God coming and and touching a life and and giving that life uh, for his purposes. In chapter 12, we see Samuel's farewell speech where he warns the people again about what a, a king is going to mean to them and why it would probably be wise if they didn't have a king. And yet, because they wanted a king, he said, okay, God's giving you a king. Now here's what you need to do. Samuel says, you, all the people and the king need to honor God. And so he re- reiterates much of what they knew to be true when they first entered the promised land. He reminds them again of the danger of worshiping idols. And he basically says, if you will follow God, God will bless you. Okay, so now there's a little bit of a break in the timeline. We know that Saul was about 30 when he took over as king, or became the first king. And yet, in chapter 13, we see almost immediately that his son attacks the Philistines. Now his son, Jonathan, is already a mighty warrior at this point. So I suspect that there's been some time there, although maybe not. Maybe his son was just a very young man and um, was already in the military. And so we see that because they have sort of picked a fight with the Philistines, uh, Saul gathers together his army and he proceeds to um, prepare for battle. And in the process, he is up on the hill preparing this fellowship offering to the Lord. They want God to be on their side as they fight. And they're waiting, for, and they summon Samuel and say, Samuel, come and bless us and, and uh, offer these sacrifices so that God can really bless us in this battle. And so they wait, and Samuel doesn't show up. And they wait, and they wait, and the people are getting, the uh, soldiers are getting a little restless, and the Philistines are gathering more tr- people to their tribes uh, for the fight, for the battle. And so Saul begins to get a little bit nervous. And then he gets very nervous, and finally he just says, well, we can't wait anymore. And so he says, I'll just go ahead and offer the sacrifices. And so he does. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, he sees Samuel walking up, and in verse chapter 13, verse 13, uh, Samuel says to him, You acted foolishly. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of the people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. So immediately we see that one of Saul's first acts is one of uh, not trusting God and waiting on God, but acting in his own, what he feels is his own best interest and in the interest of the people. So because of that act, that one act, God is going to take the kingdom from Saul. And he does. And already there's been, Samuel has prophesied that there'll be someone who's going to take over who has much warmer heart towards God and much more willing to be obedient. 
Nevertheless, God continued to use Saul for a time. In fact, his son is the one that leads the battle in chapter 14. And basically, it's just him and his uh, arm bearer that go and sneak up on the Philistines and scare them so bad that they go running off. And so, you know, it's just a time in Israel where um, they're trying to accept this new king. And yet there's they're very weak. I mean, it says that at the beginning of this chapter that the only ones who even had a sword or a spear was Jonathan, the son of Saul, and Saul himself. Everybody else, I guess, was using rocks or sticks. So there obviously was not uh, a great deal of preparation before this battle. And yet God just sends such um, power uh, and frightens the Philistines so badly that they run off. So God gives them victory despite the fact that... uh, you know, Saul was really not very obedient. Okay, so we learned a little bit about um, Saul's family at the end of chapter 14, that um, he had uh, several sons. He also had a couple of daughters, one of which will play a major part coming up. Her name is Michael. Okay, in chapter 15, we see that Saul goes again into battle against the Amalekites, and uh, he God has already told him, hey, I will give you victory, but you must kill everyone. Well, then after the battle's over and they win, Saul takes pity on the Amalekite king and lets him live. And so once again, he is not obeying God. He is not honoring God by honoring Samuel, and he is not honoring God by obeying what God said. So obviously, things are going to come down upon him, and they will not be pleasant. And that is exactly what happens. In fact, from here on, we see Saul becoming very afraid because Samuel comes to him and he says, uh, in chapter twenty or chapter fifteen, verse twenty-two, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So it's basically Samuel comes and basically curses Saul and says, You think you're doing everything right because you're going through the motions, but you have a rebellious heart and you are not following God. And that, you know, God would rather have you obey than to pay him, try and pay him off with all kinds of offerings or um, uh, other means that uh, it's just God wants our heart. He doesn't want our outward actions. And so sadly, we see that Saul from here on is not very victorious. Um, he goes through different battles and in some of them they win. But God has the, the spirit of the, God, the Lord that was upon him has left him. And when that happens, uh, sadly, there's like an evil spirit that comes upon him and and torments him. And so much so that Saul at one point, uh, we'll see later on in this chapter, this book, uh, the first Samuel, um, he's so afraid. And um, after Samuel dies, he, he doesn't know who to turn to to ask for help. And so he goes to this witch and says, can you help me? And he has to go secretly because witches, of course, were outlawed in Israel. There were no such thing as devil worshippers or witches or anything like of the sort. But the witch immediately recognizes that he's the king. And so she's a little bit afraid to even talk to him because she knows that, you know, she's putting her life in danger since it's illegal to, to be a, a witch. And basically a fortune teller is probably a better way to put it. 
um, because she would take money in turn for telling somebody their, their fortunes. But we're going to save that story for next week because that's a little bit ahead of the, the game. For this week, we are going to just focus on, on Samuel turning the kingdom over to Saul and Saul becoming the king. Um, remember that the applications from this week would be that uh, it's not our own wisdom, but God's will that we should follow. And it's really important for us to stop and listen and find out what God wants, even if it feels like we're delaying, even if we feel like things are, are mounting against us because we are waiting on God. But God has a purpose in that. It's not our sacrifice God wants. He wants our obedience. He wants our heart. And then finally, it's not our outward characteristic, but it's on the inside of the heart that matters. And we'll find that um, much more next week when we learn about David. So at the very end of chapter 15, we see that uh, Saul leaves, uh, Samuel leaves Saul and he heads to this um, outer area. And there the Lord speaks to him and he said, um, okay, I want you to appoint someone else as the next king. And so Samuel follows God's leading and he goes to this family, the family of Jesse. And he says, um, where, you know, I think I, I need to see one of your uh, sons. And so Jesse brings forth all of his sons and he looks at all of them and says, no, that's not the one. That's not the one. God hasn't given him a piece about it. Finally, he says, do you have any other sons? And Jesse, the father says, Yes, we have the youngest one, but he's out tending sheep. And so Samuel says, well, go get him. So sure enough, when uh, David walks into the room, God speaks to him and says, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Uh, verse 7 of chapter 16, we see God saying to him, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And of course, he's referring to David's older brothers. But um, instead, he says, uh, the Lord does not look on the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And he had looked into David's heart and saw that he was a man that could lead this country with uh, boldness and, with, um, and through the Spirit of God. So immediately, David senses that something interesting here is happening here and Samuel goes up and anoints him with oil and yet David is uh, surprisingly comfortable with the whole situation and the Spirit of God comes upon him and David is confident that what God is going to do through him will be a great thing. So we see that even now um, David is preparing to be the next king but sadly he won't be the next king for quite a long time. A lot of stuff happens between the time that David is anointed by Samuel and uh, until David is actually the kingdom is turned over to him. And we will save a lot of that for our next study. So, in preparation for our next study, please go ahead and read through the end of Samuel, um, 1 Samuel 16 through 31, and we will talk more about this young King David who has been anointed, but not yet uh, coronated as the king. Okay, so take some time and read through the story of David and Goliath, which we will cover next week. Thank you for your faithfulness to Basic Bible 101. Remember, you can check the website for additional resources and hopefully the answers to the homework problems. If they're not there, they will be shortly. Have a great day.